for one quick warning. I just want to let everyone know that the views that Mario and myself have are not those of our guests. Our guests are very nice people. They're very kind. They're generous with their time. They do not hold those same opinions. So please just Welcome be aware of that. Highfalutin Speedbump Podcast, episode number 264. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? Not much. It's uh, hustling lately. You know, a lot, lot going on, getting ready for ski season, trying to find your way to get motivation. I mean, yeah, I know. This- I know we've this been week, looking at movies. You had a movie event this week. This week has just been a grind. Like you said, a grind, but like a good grind. There's a lot yeah. of stuff going on. There was a big ski Vermont call that I was on, finding out the info on the different resorts. We did two interviews this week, which was nice. Yeah. The one that we're going to have as our main topic this episode, we chatted with our new friend, Gordy Megro. And his new book, 100 Slopes of a Lifetime, The World's Ultimate Ski and Snowboard Destinations. Beautiful coffee table book, just in time for the holidays. We'll have links. We'll talk about it. We talked to him about it. You can check that out later. Also, yesterday, went to a Warren Miller movie. Boom. I think it's Winter Starts Now, it was called. It was good. It was fun. It It was nice to be back in a theater with people. It was nice to kind of have that whole experience again because, you know, they didn't have it last year. And it's always one of those like our favorite events thing to look forward to. And they did it this year a week earlier. Usually they do it the Monday or Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, which is such a, yeah, such a dope week because it's a short week. Everyone's excited. It's kind of cool. They did it before, right? Like it was still cool. It was a Thursday, which was nice too. Yeah. But you know, we had logistical, things we had to deal with because you know with the two kids now it's a whole nother world yeah but it was a fun movie me and andrea went we checked it out we saw our pal nelly shout out to nelly peanut butter What's nelly up? time peanut butter nelly hops time. in the shower yeah that's right saw her see the hops in the shower my uh the instagram feed yeah so it's it cool seeing cute. her we chatting for a tiny bit but it was weird like it wasn't the same as many people it wasn't as it just was a little different you know, yeah. people still aren't really totally back, but it was well, nice to at least get halfway there. And I'm a little cynical, so I'm I'm grinding it out, trying to plan ski stuff. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, this fucking COVID lockdown thing is happening again, right around ski season. Well, lockdown we the summer. When we get to our season. first story in the ski news, you're gonna see me just raging, raging, <laughs> so like raging. So, but yeah. before we get there. Want to give a big shout out? Who are we giving a shout out to? We're not giving shout a shout out. out. Paradise Keys. We're giving a shout out to you, the listeners. Oh, Thank you. That's right. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We have a shop there, skibumpodcast.com slash shop. We'll have some sort of Black Friday thing going on, a little sale. We need new merch. I know it. I haven't had time to create any new merch. Thinking about it, ideas yeah. swirling around in my head. I got some sketches. I was looking at college shirts today. That'd be kind of cool. College shirts. I'd love a flannel shirt with like our logo on it. That'd be pretty cool. Well, I think the college shirt. So when you're on like a Zoom call or some shit, or you go to work and you can wear a college, you know, uh, like who's a going to shirt. work anymore, man? You're going to work. I'm saying, but Dude, on the Zoom call, you can put that on. But like, what's that logo? You don't even want to know what that logo is. Tell you something. We're gonna have to have a show in the next week or two about like Christmas things, gifts, stuff for ski season. Because I just got some new joggers, and man, 
I'll talk about them in a few weeks. Like I bought, I'm glad I bought all three colors because I love them. Nice. I'm never wearing pants again. Just wearing joggers. Just joggers. Joggers or ski pants. That's all I need. Or how about this? Everybody zoom calling for everything. How about we ski and we'll zoom call you so you can live through us skiing and watch us ski. We'll we'll be in the metaverse for you. You can just like tap into our metaverse existence. You think we could ski with like a bunch of cameras around and get like a virtual 3D real time experience? Pretty sure we could. Put on the Oculus and you could ski with us. Who can stop us? That'd be kind of cool. Check us out on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, untapped at Ski Bump Podcast. Send us an email, skibumppodcast at gmail.com. We got stickers. You can email us, DM us on Instagram. We'll get some out to you. Spread the love this season. And also a huge shout out and thank you, Paradise Skis. Paradiseskis.com. Go to the website. They make seriously fun skis. Paradise Skis is all about making skiing as fun as possible, whether that's shredding laps in Hawaiian shirts, bringing the parking lot at prey, or getting up early to go for that huge backcountry objective. It's our mission to build skis and snowboards that allow our customers to enjoy every single day in the mountains. Go to their website, paradiseskis.com. Use the code SKIBUM15, 15% off. They got some dope skis, the reds. They're back there. Resort skis. They got the blues. Backcountry skis. They got the green, the split board. They're all super dope. Check them out. Thank you, Paradise Skis. Mario, let's kick it off. Where we always do. I pray today. I pray today. So I think I might have drank one of these before as a secondary or tertiary opry. Um oh I'm not a one opry. Tertiary opry condition. I'm not a one opry guy. You got to go like to the to hot opry. tub. I like to do two and two then tub. That's I, I got my, that's two then tub. I, that's my thing. We bring the opry ruckus is what we do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this one it's a local local Florida beer, um, and it's the the Orange Blossom Pilsner from mm. Orange Blossom Brewing Company. So it's funny because they don't really brew many beers. They brew. An orange blossom beer, an orange blossom with less water, an IPA, which they just add more hops, and then they do weird out of the out of the blue, toasted coconut porter seasonal. Ooh, um, is that I think like I the had, one that Oscar Blues does, Death by Coconut? Similar. So that's, I had that's it, a tasty beer. I had it on tap someplace and it was actually pretty good. But this one was in the uh, supermarket here, so I'm like, you know, let me let me see what this is about, and I'm like. It's Orange Blossom Brewing Company, and what they do is they use Orange Blossom honey, local Orange Blossom honey, um, in their beers. And because it ferments, it's not like drinking like a sweet honey syrupy mess. It's like a nice cream, clean, crisp flavor of a this Pilsner is easy drinking, um, and it just has like a hint of flavor. And they say Pilsner is the kind of beer, if you want to know if a brewer is a good beer brewer, try the Pilsner. If that's good and they can make that, they can make anything. Ah, it's pretty good. Now, Beer Advocate, <clears throat> everybody reviewing it, they gave it, it has a 72 okay ranking. Um, I got to say, I don't disagree. It's not in the high categories, but 72 seems pretty low for this. Um, a lot of people did give it 
so a lot of the ratings that I that I looked at that people gave it ratings, they didn't have anything bad to say about it, but they didn't rate it high. So it's one of those beers that's kind of it's cool, easy drinking and you know, nice if you're in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. It's crisp, which I like, and it's clean and it's just you could have like a nice burger with this. Mm. You know, and even though it has like a slight orange hint, it wouldn't ruin your palate for for something like that. It's kind of nice. Nice. So I would say it's pretty cool. A lot of people that gave it the high rankings were we drink this beer at the pool every time we stay in Orlando. Right. Another one is go. it's easy drinking picture. Um they say it's not like a real honey pilsner because a lot of the honey stuff you get is like syrupy honey tasting like this barely it's like a hint of honey mm. so but yeah one person rated it like a two out of five and they said pretty bland effort well you obviously were expecting honey and orange in a can like what else are you expecting that's yeah, called like, orange juice, and you get that at your fucking breakfast buffet when you stay at the holiday. Hey, if you you want a mimosa, have a mimosa. You know, yeah, that's the same. You add whatever to it. Know so what you're getting a, into. Exactly, five point five ABV. Um, and then it's funny. I was reading on the website they have an orange blossom pilsner two, uh, squared, and it, they brew it with half the water the same way they do the pilsner. So it's like a double Pilsner. Oh, nice. It's 11%. For a Pilsner? Wow. <laughs> I'm like 11% Pilsner. I'm like, I've never had anything like that. I got to I gotta find this thing. That sounds really good. It's just odd, right? You never hear of... It's always IPAs that are like super... And their IPA is like 6.4. I mean, you see them go up to like 8, maybe 9 sometimes, like on the high end. And then you're starting to get into double IPAs and just whatever doubles quince triples whatever they have triples like triple bag those are but 11 percent. i'm like that's a lot so well that's a perfect segue into my beer boom my beer one of our favorite breweries in the whole wide world this one i i dug this one out of the fridge this one's been around for a while now i gotta be burlington brewing Burlington. You could you could tell by just seeing that. I can, saw the you know? edge of that and that was like just you know, the just new. Just style. You can you tell know. they're awesome, aren't they? Have this is the sixth anniversary Ooh. ale. It is a sex tuple dry hopped Ooh. triple India pale ale coming so what's in. What's that coming in at? That's coming in at eleven percent. See, that's what I'm saying. But I mean, when you taste it. I mean, you get a lot of flavor, a lot of nice. citrus, a lot of hop, but but balanced and enjoyable. Not like a really bitter, sharp, gross, you know, profile. Yeah. But what's cool about it, it comes in 11%, but it's smooth. Like it's not that gnarly, yeah. rough, bitter 11%. So again, Burlington Beer Company, everything they do is just awesome. They are so, just like, they're like the undefeated. They're like the Mike Tyson 1989 <laughs> of making beer. This beer, again, Burlington Beer Company, Sex Tuple, Dry Hopped, India Pale Ale, their sixth anniversary. This came out, I think, earlier this year or maybe last year, but it's still good. Yeah, it's like December 11th, 2020 was nice. 
the last review on Beer Advocate and comes in at an 88. Nice. That's that's where all their beers are like in the high range. They're they're so pretty good. Yeah, it's really good. It is boozy. Like I said, glad I took care of business upstairs before started drinking this whole thing because that would have been very so that's a a sex tuplet. I don't know what that means. It says sex tuple triple IPA. See, I've had I went to a play so I went to Big Storm Brewery, which is pretty big down here. And they actually have on tap all the time at their at their tap rooms, they have the single IPA, the double, the triple, and then they have the quad, the what's the five? Quint? Quint, yeah. They have the the quad, the quint, and then they have the sex sex tuple. Mm-hmm. Um and you can you can do like a flight of all of them. And I actually did like the the single, the double, the triple, and the or I skipped the triple and I did the quint. And I was like totally different. Like you wouldn't even think they're in the same batch. And they're like, no, it's actually they actually take part of their batch and then they do and I don't know if they do extra fermentation or what I don't know what that means you know yeah <laughs> well i know that one i had from our buddy john and his home brewing club that one was really good that was a quad that was really tasty quad. i don't know what that means exactly i don't know if it's a certain type of yeast certain type of hop but whatever it is it is quite delicious and so is this beer i'm looking it up right now what is looking it up people? doing research on the fly wiktionary what, what what is wiktionary Wiki Yeah. I don't know. Everybody's advertising their own. That's why I'm not getting a straight answer. I wonder if that's like the newest thing. I, again, I, I don't know. I, there's always it's like been a around thing. for a while. Yeah. But there's always like a thing. Like, what's the next thing? But I noticed like the the more upples you get, <laughs> like the more boozy it just gets. I mean, it's the same thing with like a double and a. Yeah. And again, you, you don't want it to be too boozy where you don't enjoy it. You want to have that kind of that Goldilocks effect where it's got some flavor, makes you feel good, but it also doesn't get you too too down a place you don't want to go to. Right? Right. Some of those things go up to like twenty percent or some shit like that or whatever it is. What was the one we had, like the Sam something. Adams one where it was like three thousand dollars a bottle or no, it was like I think it was like three hundred and fifty dollars a bottle. I forget how much that one was. It was like illegal in a bunch of states. <laughs> there was something. Yeah, because, uh, right, because, like, you can't sell it here. Yeah, like, like, this is this is the fine state of Mississippi. You can't sell that, that here. <laughs> That's right. This is moonshine country. Oh, Utopia, was that it? Okay, what makes a quad IPA? So they're saying... It's four pounds per barrel of hops, I guess. Ah, okay. But is that it? I don't I know. Dig it. So a quadruple stands for a quad stands for quadruple. Strong, strong, dark Belgium style beer. Overall, amber, brown, but peppery and bready. <laughs> while cut, while quadruples are known to be mild in their hoppiness and sweetness, we're surprised they're. Of, by their alcoholic strength. 
There you go. So four pounds. All right. So four pounds makes it a quad. All right. That makes sense to me. I guess. I don't know if that's it. So yeah, that's Sam Adams Utopia, 28% alcohol by volume. So quads are saying routinely are around 10. Okay. And they're, they're always served in like, you know, that, that little, what do they call that glass? The little, it's like a mini snifter. Like a tulip glass? Tulip glass. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So they usually come in that and they're just, they're just, and I was just boozier. You taste them. You're like, wow, this is, it's almost like when you start getting in, I don't think I've had a quint or a sextuple, but I know Mm. when you get to the quad area, you're getting into like, I don't know if this is a hard liquor or a beer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it gets very boozy very quickly. Yeah. Well, starting to, what's the, speaking of things that are getting dark very quickly, let's roll to the ski news. Uh, there's, there's always light at the end of the tunnel, but there is light. I, I don't know where it is at this moment, but so <sighs> ski resorts in Austria forced to close as national lockdown enforced. Also mandating vaccines for whole population. So, so this everybody's got to get where Hitler was born is now yes. deciding they are going to lock down their entire stupid little country and make vaccines mandatory. Wow. So they announced this on, well, on Monday they announced a controversial lockdown for the unvaccinated, but today announced that lockdown will be extended to the whole population. So it's vaccine for alles. (sighs) Yeah. Vaccine uber alles. Is that what they're saying? Pretty much. They are saying... Austria will be the first country in Western Europe to reimpose a total coronavirus lockdown to tackle rising infection rates that are amongst the highest in Europe. They have a seven-day incidence of 991 per 100,000 people. During the announcement, the Austrian government also announced that it would require its whole population to get vaccinated by February. The chancellor said on Friday that those who refused to be vaccinated would face fines. Details will be finalized in the coming weeks. Hmm. The new measures mean people will not be allowed to leave their houses with few exceptions, such as shopping for essentials and exercising. Hmm. Skiing would be. The lockdown will initially last for 10 days, just like two weeks to flatten the fucking curve, right? 20 months later. (laughs) About two thirds of Austria's population is fully vaccinated against COVID, the second lowest rate in Europe. Chancellor Alexander Schallenberg blames those refusing to be vaccinated for an attack on the health system and said it hurts that such measures still have to be taken. Fuck you, Chancellor Schallenberg. Fuck Austria. Fuck your mandates. Fuck your stupid ski resorts. Like, this is insanity. This The first thing I thought about when I heard this, I I asked myself, okay, I have no idea what the gun laws in Austria are. But the thought I thought of was <laughs> they, they many, don't have many, any, not even the how cops many have politicians it, right? are there? How many politicians and how many bullets? Because I guarantee you there are more <laughs> bullets than politicians. And I don't understand. Are, like, is COVID are, are people just dead in the street? No, 
Yes, it affects some people. Some people that have comorbidities. Like the, the plague, right? When it, this is when not it was the fucking Ebola virus. This is not the plague. This is not smallpox. This is a disease <laughs> that we're stuck with now, and we can either just live with it. It's not a disease. It's a different type of cold. Like uh, they keep talking about, follow the science, and they're they're changing the scientific results of everything and skewing they're changing the definition of vaccination the they're changing exactly. everything yeah it's, there's it's no not- such thing as a vaccination for this it is a pre-treatment it is not a vaccine the yeah. misnomer of it is they're telling people it's a vaccine line up and get it but there's no guarantee you're not still going to get it it's like well that's flu. the thing it was not originally 98 percent efficacy if you yeah. got this vaccine and then it keeps dropping and dropping and dropping after six months it's it's almost nothing up oh, time for as they start shot. actually looking at the data so yeah. they, they want to say follow the science, but they don't want to look at the data in the right way. It's just like the flu vaccine. Is the flu vaccine really a vaccine? Well, it's a vaccine for that one strain, but it's not for the flu in general because there's so many strains and there's new ones coming up every day. Same thing's going to happen with Corona. The media, sucks, but- the media and the politicians are taking this crisis and taking advantage of every single citizen. Totally. And they're just stripping away rights. Little by little. That's what Hitler said in Mein Kampf. The best way to take people's freedoms is just a little bit at a time. And 20 months ago, we all ready to sacrifice for two fucking weeks. You know what? Right. Two weeks to flatten the goddamn curve. And look at us now 20 months later. Then it was three weeks. Then it was like, no, we got to really lock down like hard for like a while. Canada was locked down for what? 16 months, 18 months. They're still locked down. There's still, still a disaster like up that. there. This, yeah. this has to stop. And you know what? It isn't until people just start standing up to these idiots and saying, fuck you. you, you you're not going to do it. We're not staying inside. Like, kiss Why my ass. Why did Florida? Ron DeSantis just... <laughs> <laughs> but you look he at Australia. No is, is it like they're doing alphabetically? Like Australia? Austria? Like they're the dipshits that are just locking their entire countries down, expecting this to just go away. It's never going to fucking go away. It's here. Yeah. This coronavirus is here. You it's can't get rid of it. It's like saying, exactly. I'm getting rid of the cold. I'm getting rid of the flu. Fuck off. This is yeah. to every politician. You tell them to fuck off, fix a road, and get out of my life. That's what you have to tell them. Nope. They get a the wall. How many Buy Bitcoin dollars and spending? tell your politicians to fuck off. And you know what? You will have way more freedom than you even realize. Yeah. How do you really feel about this, though? I, this this fucking enrages me. <laughs> this fucking <laughs> enrages me that people like are just listening to the people who won a lying contest for your health decisions and then here in the states hey five to twelve year olds fire away just load up your kids oh yeah five years old now right they're going you try to touch my son with your bullshit fucking vaccine that doesn't affect him at all you're gonna have to deal with me fuck off and you know what none of these assholes have five to twelve year olds you know so So our son is shit his when did he have we had corona Last year, I think he was 14, right? He had zero symptoms. That fucking kid, he barely had a fever for like a half a day and was just like running around. I was like, I, I feel fine. Like he didn't have any symptoms. Joe Rogan just had on Dr. Peter Atia a couple of days ago and they were talking about it. And he had a really great metaphor for this. And what he was, I, I'm paraphrasing it, but he said he looks at things as like a two by two matrix. And it's, mm-hmm. He looked at it as if you're an 80 year old, it's like, he's like, you have, again, the two by two matrix is pennies and Bitcoin and then train and tricycle. He's like, if you're 80 years old, taking this vaccine, it's like picking up a Bitcoin in front of a tricycle. There's almost no risk. 
and there's a reward. Right. For a five-year-old, it's like picking up pennies in front of a train. He's like, mm. you have no idea what's going to happen to these kids over time because right. there's so little. And they haven't no, done a long-term study. There's no data. There's no yeah. long term studies on what this does to kids you get in your on your social media you get your all your little followers and all the people you follow that all have that same little echo chamber and you're like yeah we're the good guys they're the bad guys it's black and white it's this and that it's the science versus the anti-vaxxers it's like dude we need to just start hanging out with each other again because i know i have friends who have very different political beliefs than me and we have a great time together we don't talk about that kind of you know nuanced political bullshit and we're, we have a great time and it's fine, yeah. but we've gotten so far apart in that regard. And even talking about skiing was going to bring us together. This was going to yeah. bring us together, but then fucking Austria goes and ruins it. Goes and ruins it. That's it's bullshit. World War One assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Boom. Wasn't he the Austria-Hungarian or was he uh, that was Ottoman Empire? I know it was Ottoman Franz Empire. Ferdinand. I know he was the Archduke, and the whole story about that is crazy. The guy who assassinated him, he was. He was supposed to, like, he was going to assassinate him, but I guess the the motorcade went a different way and he couldn't do it. This guy's in a restaurant or like a cafe. All of a sudden, the car comes around again. There he is. And then he shoots him. Boom. It's kind of like the Godfather, but outside of the restaurant, right? Like the Italian restaurant. And then you run outside, shoot him. You sort have to like go to the that. toilet to get the gun behind that, you know? Yeah. I kept forgetting all this. But yeah, I remember it was Archduke. He was Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria. All I know is they had great, the fantastic throne. mustaches, right? They, they did. That was the solid mustache era and the helmets with the spikes on it. Oh, uh, helmet with the spike. And you had to have that mustache with the, it's not the handlebar. It's the curly one like that. Yeah. Y'all had those. Yeah. Gavrilo Princip was a Bosnian Serb student who assassinated Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria and his wife, Sophie, Duchess of Hohenberg in Sarajevo. Damn. 28th of June, 1914. Holberg? Austria. Again, the epicenter of another goddamn war. That's right. You guys have the best mountains. This time, they assassinated freedom. Some of the best skiing. You you guys, you blew it. Go, go, Go wax your mustache and think again. Whatever. I'm not advocating for violence. I'm just saying, if you look, we're looking at simple supply and numbers. How many bullets your country has? How many politicians you have? You just look you at the numbers. Look at the long game, right? So the long game, they're the losers because nobody can go to the country to go skiing. They can have internal skiing, whatever. Vermont faced faced a lot of this last year. They shut down their their state so hard that a lot of people didn't go there. Well, Vermont, too, has the highest vaccinated per capita of any state. They also have the highest COVID numbers, hospitalization numbers right now. Like people, we need to realize that we're stuck with this. Like we need to figure out something else. Like if you can't just start shutting everything down. And again, if this is a real pandemic, why are you laying off doctors and nurses who don't want to get vaccinated? Dude, Florida shut down for like, I don't know, three or four weeks. And that was it. They're like, fuck it. We got to start opening stuff back up. And you know, they went by, we don't have to take immediate action because we still have capacity in the hospitals too. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it got close to capacity, but they were like, we're, we're okay. And everybody's like, well, you're being, you know. Um, and who's they? The stupid media. The media. The media. Who's all brought to you by Pfizer. 
This segment <laughs> brought to right. you by Pfizer. But it's, you know, is, other cities had real problems because they have a higher pop population. They're more close quarters. You know, you get New York, Chicago, all the big cities. We're saying, oh, Florida, you're being irresponsible. It's like, no, we were all right. Yeah. Now you guys are looking right. are looking good. You, Texas. And think about how many visitors we get to this state. Mm-hmm. So we get a ton of people. Now people are moving here because they just want to get away from the bullshit that they're getting in their own state. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have so many visitors here and we're still not going nuts with COVID. So. I don't know. There's something to being outside and something to allowing people to still do what they do. And if you get COVID, we'll go to the hospital. Hopefully there's space, you know, right now they haven't locked anything down because we have space. So all these scared people remember what Ben Franklin said, those who would give up essential Liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve either Liberty nor safety. That Mm. is an absolute fact. You cannot buy a hundred percent safety, no matter what you do, cars, yeah. walking, you get by an asteroid. You can get like, anything can happen to you all over the world. The fact yeah. that we're locking ourselves up for this disease that affects 0.03%. We're shutting down the world for a disease that affects 0.03%. No, we're shutting it down for a political agenda. It's idiotic is what it yeah. is. It's yeah. going to have horrible long-term effects. Long term, it's this, it's catastrophic for a lot of countries in general. For people, for countries, for society, for everything. Yeah. I mean, Canada's just kind of opening up, but still not really. And I think the dollar is crushing them by like, it's like four to four, 40%. Wow. It's over 30, uh, which is just, it's a lot. And I have a friend that's, uh, I work with him. He's coming down to Florida. Uh, his son's doing a camp in March and he's like, yeah, he's like, you don't understand. He's like the Canadian dollar is really, you know, negative against the American dollar right now. And he was saying it's, it's probably, it's close to 40% like exchange rate. I'm like, that's, that's pretty bad. Yeah. But all right, moving on, we got, there's a uh, list of 16 resorts that Snowbrains put out that have postponed opening day due to lack of snow. So I know we talked about it earlier in a few podcasts ago about, you know, this is like, this is the La Nina year, right? This is looking like La Nina. Yep. Which is kind of a wild card. Like you get a little mix of this and a mix of that. And we went over some possible forecasts. And I think the forecasts we saw were saying, it might dump like crazy in certain places and really be warm in other places. And I think maybe we're seeing a little bit of that now. Yeah. It kind of, yeah, there was a big deal a couple weeks ago when, you know, Tahoe had the first October opening since 2004. Palisades yeah. Tahoe, of course, mm. former, that's right. Former S S dash 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 Valley. Yeah. They opened up, in late October, it was a big deal. Everyone was super psyched. And now it's like, mm, yeah, warm, mushy, rainy conditions. So let's run that on the list real quick. We got Park City. No, uh, originally they were saying 1119. No new date given. Heavenly, same. North Star, same. So they're all 
was supposed to be 1119, which is today when we're recording this. No new date. Steamboat, 1120 tomorrow. New opening, 1127. Akimo, 1120. No date given. Hunter, 1119. No date. Uh, Snowball in Arizona, no date. Brian had same. Solitude, supposed to be today. No uh, New opening, 1123. So this weekend... And Alta. big shout out to, to Solitude. They were a nice little feature in the latest Warren Miller movie. Nice. Alta, eleven twenty. New opening, eleven twenty four. So that's Thanksgiving, right? Eleven twenty four. Let me know. Oh, twenty five is Thanksgiving. Okay, so Thanksgiving Eve. Telluride supposed to be eleven twenty five. They pushed it back to twelve three. So December. Oof, that hurts. Uh, yeah, Snow Basin, originally 1124, no new date. Grand Targhee, 1119, no new date. Boreal, 1119, no new date. Palisades, Tahoe, 1124, no new date. And Beach Mountain in North Carolina, which I have skied, 1119, new opening, 1126. Bam, see? Boom, they're going to open. North Carolina have, opening before Telluride. I might have to go back to North Kakalaki. How about that? Skiing. What do you think about that, Telluride? Maybe I'll take a ride up there this year. Just fucking drive up and isn't it? Uh, that one's not on the Indy Pass, right? That's the Catalucci. That's Catalucci and over Gatlinburg, which sent me another thing. Over Gatlinburg, we gotta go to. If you want to go to over, we'll go to over. We'll do up. <laughs> we'll do up uh, Gatlinburg, which is pretty pretty fun. We gotta hit Dollywood. I saw oh. Dollywood listed on one of the top places to visit during Christmas, especially. Oh, I bet Dollywood is a beautiful Christmas. Dolly is a, she is a true treasure. How old is she? She's got to be, she's got to be 70s, there, right? early 80s. Am I, am I blowing up your spot, Dolly? Like, is she that old? It's Dolly Parton, right? Not Dolly Madison. Dolly, <laughs> 75 years old, Dolly Parton. All right. January 19, 1946. January 19, look at that. Still gorgeous. She is five foot tall. Dolly Madison, she made really great ice cream, didn't she? I think at one point she did. <laughs> she did everything. It wasn't there like the fire and she like grabbed everything from the White House and was trying to like take it out. Oh, really? Fucking British set it on fire. There's a lot of shit going on with Sons that. Sons of bitches. Sons of bitches. Goddamn redcoats. So she helped furnish the newly constructed White House and then the British set fire to it in 1814 and she was credited with dicks. saving the classic portrait of George Washington. That's pretty awesome. And and taking a whole bunch of stuff while the British goddamn redcoat sons of bitches put it on fire. Not acceptable. What if we said we're going to get payback and just set parliament on fire? But like we have a bunch of drones that are going to set we're not going to bomb anything. We're just going to set it on fire. Start, in, run. start in Austria and then Let's go to fucking run. Then go to parliament. Hey, fire clears. Uh, we'll clear out all the germs. That's for sure. This is true. <laughs> I mean, if we didn't learn anything, you know, in the, from, from our past history of cavemen and just Neanderthals, I think that's a, a universal. Burning given. of witches, right? That's right. The burnt witches. This is, we're going to look back at these these times and be like, why don't we have like witches Salem witch trials? Yeah, yeah don't we have- burned them all. They're all gone. Burned them all. That's There's right. actually a thought that the year, I guess the years where there was the Salem witch trials and all that was going on, there was ergot, which is some sort of fungus that grows in, is it the wheat or something? It's, there was something about crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah, there was something, some sort of mold or fungus in the crops that year. And so that was what's causing some of these women to have some, you know, crazy. Because people in general are like, well, you know, let's let's uh, dunk that. Like, think about the logic behind it. So like, yes, we're the authorities. Well, if you dunk them and they survive the dunking, then they're a witch. And then we burn them. <clears throat> but if they're not a witch, then unfortunately we're going to wind up killing them. Like, what the fuck? Like, here we go. Yeah, they said that, it, yeah, there was rye bread may have caused the Salem witch trials. Damn, that, that's rye bread, man. Thanks, rye bread. Thanks for... I, they're saying yeah, that ergot got into the, the rye supply. Ergotism forms in rye after a severe winter and a damp spring. Conditions that historians claim was present in 1691 and therefore affected the rye harvested for the consumption in 1692. Hmm. After the rye plant contracts ergot, the fungus grows and replaces shoots on the grain with celerodia. Ergot celerodia are purple black growths that contain lysergic acid and ergotamine. Since it's medical really knowledge was sparse, shit. like if you look at like the the wheat, there's like it almost looks like a slug hanging on it. It's kind of disgusting looking. Well, they're saying that yeah, because of that ergot, it caused severe convulsions, muscle spasms, delusions, the sensation of crawling under the skin, and extreme cases gangrene. Damn, severe hallucinations can also be a symptom, as. Lysergic acid is the substance from which the drug LSD is synthesized. That's damn gross. Yeah, so these symptoms were the same as shown by the accused in Salem, mostly young girls whose immune systems had not fully developed, leaving them susceptible to diseases such as ergotism. Hmm. There Interesting. Crazy, totally non-sequitur, but still interesting. fun and interesting. See, you could learn something on this show, exactly. besides just... Brian getting pissed off and ranting and er- ergotistical son of a bitch. Ergotistical. <laughs> That's me. Well, speaking of ergotistical son of a bitches, Vail Resorts announces enhancements to the guest experience for the 2021 2022 winter season. Company will limit lift ticket sales during peak holidays to prioritize pass holders, Aww. launching new operational plans to improve lift loading efficiency. Launching a new version of the Epic Mix Time with a full day forecast of lift line wait times. Hmm. This was interesting. This is what we're going to get to in a second. But they're limiting lift ticket sales during the three most popular holiday periods. December 25th, January 2nd, January 14th to 17th, and February 18th to 27th. They have a new operating plan, which includes a significant improvement of how a Efficiently, the company loads lifts and gondolas to reduce wait times, among other operational enhancements. Here we go with the epic mix time. Hmm. They forecast lift line wait times. So they have spent a decade investing in technology, data science, and analytics to improve the guest experience. Coming this December to 12 Resorts. Coming this December. Hmm. A new version of epic mix time within the company's Epic Mix app, will provide a full-day forecast of lift line wait times in 15-minute increments to help guests plan their day in advance, navigate their time on mountain in real time, and make the most out of their skiing and riding experience. Hmm. With Epic Mix time, 
Historic and actual wait time data for a specific lift is combined with both resort and lift guest counts, wait times at other lifts, current snowfall, day of the week, and period of the season to create a predictive lift line wait time model for all lifts at all times of the day. New technology leverages machine learning, so its forecast will continue to improve in accuracy throughout the season. The information within Epic Mix Time is transparently provided at the guests' fingertips, allowing them to make informed decisions so they can spend more time carving a path down. Wow. This will be available at Whistler, Vale, Beaver Creek, Breckenridge, Keystone, Crested Butte, Park City, Heavenly, North Star, Kirkwood, Stowe, and Okemo. Hmm. Very cool. Interesting. So there's Very a few things coming into the mix here for this next season, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes, right? Trying to apply technology and a little little predictive analytics to uh <laughs> It'd be kind of funny if someone like hacked it and was like, Hey, there's no lift lines over here. And like everyone goes over there and then like you kind of go where you want to go. Like no one's there because everyone's going to other lifts. You tell them there's like an hour wait. Everybody runs over. They're like, Oh, this lift is broken. (laughs) You don't want to come here. It's going to cause a little bit of that anyway. Right. People are going to be like, Oh no, I just got an alert that there's no lift line there. And everybody's going to get the same alert and run over to that lift. Once Elon gets that neural link embedded in our heads too, then you'll be able to, it'll just like beam it into your head and your there'll be an app. It'll be tied to your skis and your skis will just take you in the direction of the lift line yeah. with the shortest weight. Dude, we're headed for a science fiction frenzy of all the bad shit that we ever thought about. The black mirror dogs running around, the robot people jumping, doing parkour, the freaking brain plants, the neurolinks, like the the meta, like virtual reality, it's all gonna just crumble down on us. It's Did hard. it all seem like way further down the road? Yeah, you watch like Black Mirror, and and that that's a great example. I had to stop. They, they did do it. A, they did a lot of tech stuff in there, and you look at all the stuff like that they were posing and speculating on, you know, for their for their stories, and you're like, ah, that's that's really cool because you know it makes you think but you're like you know it's not not hitting my lifestyle anytime soon and now it gets it's it seems like it's closer than you even think welcome to the terror dome yeah come on down yeah crazy stuff man crazy all right next up we have america's most affordable ski towns in 2021 edition going down the list it's uh I saw a few of these, and I used to live in one of these places. Yeah, this came from Realtor.com. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So Harrison, MI is Michigan? Michigan, yeah. Median home price. There ain't no skiing in Mississippi. I was going to say, $138,000. They're saying it's only 10 minutes from Snow Snake, which is a little ski area. Yeah, this article, I mean, they do... They do kind of whore out some of their listings. That's that's sort of the point of it. They, they yeah, that's what I was kind of link you out to the stuff. Malone, New York is is upstate New York. It's in the Adirondack Mountains. That's where Titus Mountain is. Titus Mountain Family Ski Center is there. A snowshoe West Virginia, Snowshoe Mountain Resort, and it's actually close to Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and DC. So snowshoes always on on one of the top lists of places like that are. I think it's yeah, in the, the mid Atlantic to be able to to get that decent at conditions. I remember there was one storm. Maybe oh, they got dumped on, right? Yeah, it's like three, maybe three or four <laughs> years ago, where 
uh, the whole East Coast, they got the most snow. They got like three and a half feet. If you're a powder hunter, you were going there to West Virginia to ski. And what's cool is it says condos here are abundant and prices range from a one bedroom with easy lift access for under 90 grand. I think there must have been a boom. And I'm wondering what the what the value was before. But 90 grand doesn't seem bad for a condo. You know what I mean? With lift access. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Grand PA, also the home of one of the Dunder Mifflin uh, branches, right? It Maybe talks one? about that in the article, of course. Of course. So the same Montage Mountain is right there. And that's on the Indy Pass, isn't it? Just got added this year. Yeah. One added Montage. And you're also probably only 20 minutes from Elk Mountain. It's probably the best skiing in PA. Yeah. And New York City and Philly is not too far. It says there's 10 ski resorts within two hours. Huh. Interesting. Sounds about right. I want to look at some of these places. Mansfield, Ohio. The first ski resort in the Buckeye State. Look at that. Snow trails. <laughs> Summit of 1,475 feet. <laughs> and then there is, I've never even heard of this, Powley, Indiana. Powley, Indiana. 4,000 residents. New skiing. They had skiing in Indiana. I yeah. Bigger cities, Fort Wayne and Indianapolis, travel to, to Powley Peaks, which has 15 trails and eight lifts. Seven days a week. So it's open every day. That's pretty cool. Uh, Boone, Iowa. They're saying it's popular in the summer and the winter. Seven Oaks Recreation, 11 ski and snowboard runs. And they're saying for an Opry ski treat, people enjoy local craft beer on the heated patio at Coal Creek Lounge. I like that. Sounds Number eight, Vernon, New Jersey. So when I moved to New Jersey, this is where I lived for two years. And I lived right on Mountain Creek, like on the mountain. So Mountain Creek's right there. It's really close to the city. They're saying 50 miles, which is about right. You go up a little bit mountain thing. And then they mention in here, which I love, Warwick, New York. Have you been to Warwick? Oh, yeah. Love that place. So it's kind of a quaint little New England town. Very small, but very cool. And very, there's a lot of culture and a lot of, a lot of money up there for being like in the middle of nowhere. Anaconda, Montana. Never heard of this. About two and a half hours west of Bozeman. They're saying it's in the heart of big sky country. Very snowy. On the Anaconda Range, Discovery, Discovery Ski Area has 67 runs, which isn't that far. That's no joke. Not too bad. And they have hot springs there, like a whole lot of other stuff. And then Pittsfield, Mass. I never heard of Pittsfield. Part of the Berkshires, heart of the western Massachusetts mountain region. They're seeing it is close to Bosquit Mountain with a vertical drop of 750 feet. Boom. Dropping. So dropping the ropes on that. Well, one. they also too right there. You have a uh, ski butternut, which I went to earlier this year with, with my son. Yeah. And catamount catamount, which I went to with rich earlier this year. So there's a bunch of stuff right there in the Berkshires, which is pretty cool. That's pretty you know, sweet. I know again, I went to see Warren Miller yesterday and of course they're in like sun Valley and they're in steamboat and they're in solitude. And today, of course I'm going on Zillow and looking up what, property in fucking Ketchum, Idaho costs. And I'm just like, God damn it. And you're yeah. looking steamboat. You're like, God damn it. Yeah. And then here you go. Boom. Pittsfield, Mass. Scranton. Malone, New York. You want to live in a ski town? You can make it happen. Boom. That could be, you know, that could be the next, you know, Park City. You never know. You never know. You just never know. All you depends how know. things develop. True. Yep. Park City gets an outbreak of COVID. They're closed down. Where shut are they it going? Down. They're going to Anaconda. The chancellor of Utah will shut it down. Everyone's got to stay home. 
shut it down. And then they're all flocking to Vernon, New Jersey, which they already do on the weekends. And it's a shit show. God, I was there in February and I bought a triple play thinking I wanted to go back. I went there one day and I was like, fuck Mountain Creek. I'm never coming back here again. Like, I just, yeah. I just hate that place. Triple play, triple play has a bullet for each pass that you get to I put right in your just, own fucking head because it's horrible. I just hate that place and i try to like it i, I try to say we're trying to get somebody years. from mountain creek on the show and mountain creek is a good concept convenient the whole thing you got to go at the right time otherwise you're gonna have a bad time it's just it's just a <laughs> jersey nightmare yeah. that really is the only way to describe mountain creek imagine everyone has a new jersey experience everyone has had to come here for some reason or another a layover a business trip, something. They, they the wanted to go on a Sopranos, to... a Sopranos tour, like exactly. something. Going to look for bodies in the Meadowlands, you know. Normal imagine, stuff. imagine the worst part of your Jersey experience: traffic, assholes, whatever it is. Take that worst experience, put it on snow, and put that's on the day at Mountain and Creek. snowboards. That's your day at Mountain Creek. Yeah. I wish I, I could say, say otherwise. I wish as a Jerseyan I could say otherwise, but I cannot. I go back every five, six years thinking I'm going to be, I'm like, all right, I'm coming back here. I've heard great things. And I leave going, fuck this place every single time. Now, I used to go when I was up there. I would go every once in a while. Actually, I didn't go when I was up there because I was too poor. But after I left there, I would go back up there. And I remember going midweek, skiing in the day. It was magical. Great. Especially if there's good conditions. Magical or nights. Is, that's being very kind. Yeah. Weekends or nights, stay away from that place. It was tough. Yeah. But, you know, like you mentioned, one of those smaller places could be the next big thing. And speaking of big things, <laughs> we're going into the main topic. Boom. This is a book. Very nice book. And we were lucky enough to speak to the author. Gordy Megro, this is his book, 100 Slopes of a Lifetime, The World's Ultimate Ski and Snowboard Destinations. There's Very some cool. really cool things in here. So there's 100 different trails that they picked out. And again, you know, you have your normal ones that you're, you totally expect. Corbett's Coolar, Jackson Hole, you know, the big Coolar, Big Sky. It actually has some cross-country ones in here, which is cool. Wow. Yeah, it's got the, um, the Hanenkam and Kitzbühel. In stupid Austria, it's got, <laughs> stupid Austria now. You know, it's got the the Grand Coular at Courcheval in France. Mm. What's really cool? There are some funky places in here too. Like there's one trail in Morocco. There's nice this one in India that looks really really awesome. In India. They've got Iran in here. They've got Kazakhstan. Like there's so there's it's not like the typical. The ones you're always going to see. Hmm. Ski cool. Gulmarg. That's the one in India. So I chatted with, again, with, with Gordy, and he was the one who came up with this book. We had some, we had a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. He reminisced over some of the places we've both been to. Hmm. He talked about some of his favorites, things he wants to check out, bucket list things. And we think you guys will enjoy it. So here is our chat with Gordy. This week, we have a very special guest. We have Gordy Megro, who is the author of a new beautiful book called 100 Slopes of a Lifetime. So Gordy, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So 
this is the kind of book. This is not something you put together over a weekend. (laughs) This is a nice, girthy, beautiful coffee table book. Um, When did you first get the idea to create this book? Uh, It was actually National Geographic's idea. They came to me and asked me if I'd be interested in um, working on this. Uh, I, you know, I've been a journalist for almost 20 years. And a lot of the stories that I've written over the years have been skiing related. So um, I, I guess they, I actually never asked, I, I never asked, but I guess that's how they came up with my name and asked me if I wanted to do it. Yeah, sure. It's, I just, I just imagined the, the conversation. I thought it was the other way around. You'd be like, Hey, I got an idea. You guys are going to uh, give me unlimited travel and I'm going to go over the world and I'm going to check out all oh, these yeah. resorts. And I was like, how did you pull this off? Like, uh, your no. <laughs> well, I, the truth is I've skied probably 25 or so of these trails. Um, but the truth is, is I, yeah, I, I had to rely on my vast network of, uh, uh, ski friends, uh, professional skiers and snowboarders and ski guides and, uh, uh, ski patrol and ski instructors all over the world. Um, so I, I actually, uh, sent lots of emails and phone calls out and texts and asked all sorts of people what their favorite trails were all over the world. And they came back to me with a huge list and, uh, I had to winnow that down into what we've got here. I, I sort of tried to uh, figure out what would make for the best geographic diversity and um, also tried to, you know, make sure that there was something in there for everybody. So I didn't want it to all be expert runs that only a select few could ski. I wanted it to be, you know, some nice rolling intermediate trails and some, you know, more advanced things that push people's limits, but I wanted it to be uh, accessible. Yeah, that was that's what I found really cool about it because you know I am a mostly northeast skier, but we've skied all over the world. My my partner who couldn't make it today and I. And what's cool about it is like you see a bunch of places, you're like, I've skied on that. And you know, that makes it so much more accessible than it's like, oh, you know, we just did these dropped in in Haynes and on a heli, and you know, those kind of places where it's like we love watching that in the movies, but you yeah, know, most of us aren't able to, you know, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, maybe. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's a, there's a few heli, heli uh, trips in here. I couldn't leave those out. Cause I've had some of my uh, most memorable experiences skiing out of a helicopter. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I grew up in Vermont and um, I wanted to make sure that new England was well represented. Um, there was uh, uh, there were trails in the Midwest that people were super psyched on um, at, at certain ski areas, uh, that I've never been to, but I felt like they were so, uh, adamant that they, that they be in there, that I, I put them in there. So, um, there's, uh, yeah, there's, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, there's, there's certainly some, there's some cat skiing. There's a trip to Antarctica where you have to ride a boat from Argentina. So there's, uh, there's a little bit, there's a few in there that are, are tougher to get to. And, probably cost a lot of money, but, <laughs> um, different but still for different folks, good. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how long did this book take to put together? Uh, they asked me to do it in eight months. It took me 10 months. Um, okay. and I, I felt like I was, I was like, at first I was kind of rolling along, 
um, and uh, felt like I might be able to get it done in eight months. But um, toward the end, I was like, how am I even going to get this done in 10 months? It was a lot of work. Um, and, you know, that was just the writing part. And then it went through the edit process. So it was all said and done. It was over a year. Okay. Yeah. Did you go out and do a little extra research? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I want to go. There are so many trails in this book now that I really want to go ski because, um, you know, uh, I wish that I, I, I wish that was the deal, like go ski all these trails and then report back to us. But it was, um, it was, a it, that would take, I feel like it, skiing every trail in this book would take years and years and years. Well, that too could be like almost a, uh, a video series yeah. too, you know, like travel yeah. around the world season one, you know, we're here in uh, in the Alps and season two. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm I'm game for that. Yeah, right. See a few sponsors, <laughs> make that happen. So you said you've been to on about 25 of these trails, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed in uh, your forward, or I guess Lindsay wrote the forward, but the introduction that you wrote, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned lift line at Stratton was your favorite yeah. line growing up. How come that didn't make the book? Well, it's, I mean, it was my favorite trail growing up, but I wouldn't consider it like one of the hundred great slopes in the world. Um, it's, uh, it was a great trail. I, I loved it for what it was, but when I, once I started, you know, seeing more of what was out there and experiencing, uh, ski, you know, skiing out West and skiing all over the world, uh, lift line, um, started to lose its luster. Not that lift line isn't a great trail. I, I would still go back and, and ski lift line today. And I'm sure I'd have a great time. When's the last time you, you skied on it? Oh God. Uh, it's been over 10 years, I would say. Yeah. I, since moving out West, I've, I don't think I maybe skied back East like twice. And I love the, I love the East coast. I have lots of respect for it. It's just hard to get back there in the winter. Yeah. And it's hard to find that motivation when you're getting, exactly. when, you, when you're, like, when you're uh, chest deep in Jackson hole powder, it's tough to uh, get on a flight back to Vermont. <laughs> yeah. I, I miss those, uh, those fresh scrapes at Killington as we called it. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say, since you said lift line was your favorite when you were younger, what would you say your favorite of these is now? Oh, that's tough. Um, I, I've always loved high rustler at Alta. It's one of my favorite trails. Um, I, I put Corbett's cool in the book, um, because it's iconic and, um, has a great story and it is a great trail. Um, but I would say my favorite trail at Jackson is Alta one. Um, and that's not in the book, but it's, you know, shout out to Alta one. Um, <laughs> And, uh, I, yeah, I don't, uh, gosh, I gotta, I gotta think of what else is in here that I absolutely love. Um, I mean, goat at Stowe is an amazing trail. Um, and I, I've actually gotten to ski that on like days where it really threw everything at you. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of fun. Um, uh, what else is in here? Um, yeah, I don't I there I I for after writing this I'm I'm more focused on the trails I haven't skied that I want to ski. I I was telling somebody earlier today um that I I I seriously I think I think about 
this one trail called Laub at uh, uh, Engelberg in Engelberg, Switzerland. I think about it like once a week, at least, if not more. Oh, really? I, I so badly want to go ski it. You haven't though, right? No, I've not skied it. Uh, I don't know if you um, just saw Red Bull just dropped the, uh, the ultimate run last week or maybe two weeks ago with uh, no. Marcus Ader. Oh, I did. I did see that. Yeah. I think he was in Kleinberg, Austria. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I watched it last week and I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, I really don't know how to ski at all. Like I need <laughs> lessons. And, and again, that was cool because that was his home resort and he was able uh-huh. to create this, you know, they had like a behind the scenes episode too afterwards where they showed how they had to build out some of the features and the avalanche uh, guards. And they showed the outtakes of him on that truck where he flipped off and went, you know, neck first into a snowbank. So it's yeah. cool to, it's, it's interesting people like that who grew up in like a Mecca and then, you know, folks, I'm, I'm going to include myself with you because I I've been an East coast skier and I, I love too, in your introduction, how you said, you know, how lift line was your favorite. And then you went to Utah <laughs> and I think, you know, it's almost like a metaphor for life skiing in that regard, where you just, you grow up, you do a certain thing, you think this is the way it is. And then you kind of branch out a bit and you try something new and you learn that some people do this, the same thing that you know and love very differently. And yeah. it, it kind of piques your curiosity. Like you're talking about now that, that trail in, in Engelberg, like you want to go, Oh, what's out there next? Like, what else can I see? What else can I do? Yeah. There's one in, uh, uh, the other one that is really attractive to me is Gulmarg, India. Um, I think it, that was really cool. Place. Yeah. yeah. Um, and who did you, um, who was the the person who reached out to you about that one? Well, I, uh, I, I think a few people, few different people recommended that, but I ended up talking to Casey Dean for that one. He had shot a movie there, um, for matchstick, I think. Okay. And, um, he, uh, yeah, he was, uh, t- we talked a lot about Gulmarg for like, I want to say we talked for like 45 minutes, an hour about it. Cause he was so hyped on that place. I think he, I think I can't remember. I'd have to turn to the page right now, but I think he called it like one of the most bizarre, amazing ski experiences of his life. That's so cool. Yeah. And one thing like I, that stuck out to me and which I've always been fascinated with is Iran. Mm. You know, um, there was a th- movie a couple of years ago. I think it was called Iran, a skier's journey where they mm. went to a few of the resorts there. And mm-hmm. I guess Tehran is, I think it's around 7,000 feet. Um, yeah, it's, it's high, really high yeah. elevation. And yeah. they said there's like four or five really good ski areas in that area. Um, yeah. Maybe like an hour or two. Yeah. And of course, you know, as an American right now, again, you're in crazy COVID time, even before, the, the thought of going to Iran to ski seems insane. And yeah. then you watch a video like this. Like if someone just said, I'm going to Iran ski and you go, you're nuts. What are you doing? And then you watch this and you're like, those are just people there. They just love skiing just as much as I do. And I think, you know, we're in this kind of wacky world right now where we're trying to everything, everything's so black and white, you're good, you're bad to see something like that, where people are just coming together, doing something they love. It's it's, it's encouraging, you know, it's kind of, it gives you a little bit of hope in, in times when things may seem a little bit bleak. Well, I thought it was interesting when I was reporting on that one, uh, doing my reporting on that one, that, um, you know, the, the people I spoke to said that when you're up there in the mountains, uh, like you said, like an hour or two away from Tehran, um, that sort of authoritarian rule kind of goes away. It, It doesn't really feel like you're, 
in Iran anymore. It's it's really more of like a party atmosphere and um, a lot of young people and people just like having a good time skiing and snowboarding. Um, so it, and it sounds like a cool place. Like it, you know, the, uh, the snow sounded amazing. This, the one woman, um, one of the women, the woman I quoted in, in that part, uh, she had spent a couple years teaching skiing there. She's Ar- Iranian, um, descent American by Iranian descent, but she had spent a couple years teaching skiing there. And, um, she said that it was awesome because the Ar- Iranians don't really ski off piste, you know, and they, they ski where, where it's been groomed all the time. Mm-hmm. So if it snows, you can go off, you know, just outside where they groom and you can have powder turns for like a week because nobody else goes out there. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. It's like, yeah, your authoritarian rule doesn't really apply to the mountains. You know, the mountain right. is the king is the queen when you're up there, which is, you know, again, hopeful it provides. Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, so one of the questions I was going to have for you is, uh, you know, about like a bucket list spot that you haven't visited, but it sounded like that Engelberg spot. Engelberg. Yeah. Engelberg for sure. Um, like we're talking about maybe going for, um, like a, I don't know, maybe two or three months, one of these winters, um, and, uh, renting the house out here in, in basalt and we're doing a swap or something and going over there. Um, that like would, an exchange that, student, right? Yeah, that would that would be <laughs> that would be ideal. And then uh, I definitely want to go to. I'd love to go to Gulmark. It just sounds amazing. Um, but there are other spots, um, you know, in this book that aren't as far flung that um, I've not been to. I have skied in Japan, but I've never skied Strawberry Fields at um, uh, in Akuba. So um, that's another one and. Um, there's actually a couple trails even in, um, Austria that made it in the book that I've not skied. So there's a, there's quite a few in here that, um, there's quite a few that I, I'm there. I've skied about a quarter of them, but there's obviously a lot more to go. Yeah. Was there uh was there any one, you know, cause you, you had to whittle down to a hundred. Was mm-hmm. there like one that 101 that was, that could have made oh, yeah. it. Well, almost no, there made was it. probably like 120. Yeah. I mean, there were lots of trails that, that had to, you know, that were left on the cutting room floor that, that could have easily made it in. Um, uh, and I'm sure people will read this and they'll say, well, what about this trail? You know, and what about that trail? You can see a lot um, of angry New Englanders yelling at you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, I did the best I could. I, I tried to make it. Um, you know, diverse in a couple different ways, um, for skier, skier ability and, and geography. Yeah. And like I said, that was, that's what made it really cool for me. Cause you get to see again, some of the ones that you've been on that, you know, and I'm wearing, you can't really see it now. I'm wearing my, my Zermatt sweatshirt. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I went there, oh, went there about 10 years ago and you had the yeah. trail in there that goes from Zermatt over to yeah. Servinia into Italy. And it, you know, exactly what you mentioned, you stay in Zermatt, and you go and have some food over in Italy. And I went with the ski club and we went and we did that trip all together on, I think it was the Thursday we were there. And we went to this little, just this hut at the bottom there. And I have pictures of it. I couldn't tell you what the name of it was, but the food that we had, like, I still remember these like 
homemade ravioli pouches that were just some of the most unbelievable things I've ever eaten. And that was one of the things that I found really great about this book is that it wasn't a hundred percent focused on just the skiing. There was the apres, the atmosphere, the, the other, other pieces that make up the whole ski experience. Well, I I think 50, 75% of these places you could go and just eat. And, and not ski at all. And you'd have just as good a time. That was our ski club. Half people just drank all day. Right. <laughs> um, like the skiing is, is obviously the, the most fun part about it for me. But I think like any skier, I want, when I go to a lot of these places, I want to have like an amazing meal and, you know, I want to have like a, an amazing cultural experience. So um, I wanted to make sure that all of that was in the book too. Yeah, that's super important. And again, with our our Zermatt trip, there was um, there was the uh, the one the first day we were there, we just kind of wandered off, and we encountered the champagne bar. I don't mm. know if you if you experienced. I that think too. I do remember the champagne bar. It's yeah. right next to the sledding trail, and you can yes. sled or ski. And yes. all of a sudden, yes. there's this little bar, this little hut with the heated. They had the the hay seats there with the heat lamps, and it's just yeah. a champagne bar on your way off the mountain. And we just randomly encountered it. And again, I have pictures and I think about that place almost weekly. And I was like, and again, at the, the moment we were there, it was my first trip to Europe. I didn't really appreciate it as much as I should have. And now I think about it like, like that was one of the coolest places I've ever been to. Yes. I, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of various trips to Europe in which I, uh, you know, ended up in a, a little you know, you go into some little cabin for lunch and the food is so unbelievable. And you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to drink. I want to keep skiing. And then you end up having a drink. And, you know, the next thing, you know, you've been in this little cabin, you know, with this unbelievable atmosphere and this like blonde wood and, you know, stone fireplace and what, and you, you're just like in bliss and you, you skiing is done. You're not skiing anymore. Yeah, Out comes the schnapps. Out yeah, comes exactly. the blue vine. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what's cool with those old places, like, you know, like that wasn't built by Vale to, you know, to check some box. Like this is, yeah. this was built there as a necessity, probably 60, 80 years ago, some right. of those places. Yeah. And that like that to me, like you can almost like feel that when you walk into a place like that, there's just history, there's culture, there's, there's stories. There's like, a, it's like a, almost a live thing. These little, shifts, oh, yeah. these stubas. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's something that every skier should definitely experience that. Yeah. Once you just, you know, kind of get out of your comfort zone and ex- travel a little bit, like you realize just what else is out there. Yeah. And then kind of the opposite of that old historical Alpine ski resort, China, which will yeah. be hosting the Olympics. Now, yeah. I'm I'm assuming you didn't go to this one. Is that correct? No. Uh, I don't think many people have skied this. Yeah, and isn't it going to be all artificially made snow as well for the Olympics? I would assume so. I because um, you know Beijing is a, a, a even up in the mountains there. It's pretty warm, so I I think they're going to have to they're you know going to basically make snow when they have the opportunity and pump a ton of it onto that trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, those trails, um, and then, um, sort of farm it around, I think is what they're, I, you know, it was hard to talk with anybody who was actually working on that project. So I talked to people around it. Like I, I talked to Steven Nyman, who's on the U S ski team, who, um, you know, had a sense of what the place was like, but, 
Um, and I got some information from China, from China, but it was like very, you know, it was government it, issued. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I do know that the, the Olympic downhill trail was cut by Bernard Rusi, who's uh, designed all sorts of, you know, world cup and Olympic trails all over the world. Um, and um, in, including Lafosse, which is also in this book at, in, uh, 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 Albertville or outside Albertville, France. But, um, uh, he, uh, he has said that this trail at in Beijing or outside of Beijing is one of his favorite trails that he's made. So wow, should be a good, good ride for those guys. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. So I know yeah. we're all probably excited to check that out in, in February when the Olympics start. So one other thing I wanted to mention, since again, I'm in a basement in New Jersey right now. Uh, I would have, I would have petitioned to get 101 to be big snow, the indoor ski resort in New Jersey. Well, you know, you know, I've skied big snow. Have I was you? at the opening. Yeah. Oh, were you? So were yeah. we. Oh, you were? Yeah. I wrote yeah. a, um, I wrote a story for outside magazine about it. Um, it's pretty it, cool. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's an experience. Unfortunately, it's currently closed. I don't know if you heard, heard about that. There yeah. was a fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens when you try to have something nice in New Jersey. It catches fire. Yeah. No, I, I had a good time there. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I, I want, or they wanted me to just sort of figure out what it was all about. Um, and uh, so I went over and or flew back east and Maybe that's actually the last time I skied back east. Was that big snow? I think it was <laughs> December of 2019. Yeah, yeah, that's when um, it opened. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, no. So it was uh, it was an experience. And then yeah, then that. So I skied there, and then we rolled into the season. And then the pandemic shut everything down in uh, March. Yep. Yeah, and that's when it's funny because. Yeah, I remember being there that first day and they're like, this is the last first chair we're ever going to have at Big Snow. And then pandemic and yeah. they reopened fire. It's like oh, the God. place has got to be cursed. Can't like, win. Yeah. It has to be. It's they originally started building that, I think, around 2005 or six. And then yeah. the financial crisis hit and it just sat Xanadu. there for. Yeah, Xanadu. Exactly. Yeah. Sat there for, I think, like eight or nine years and they finally got back to it and then they reopened it. And yeah. Uh, trying to put positive vibes because we uh, we've talked to some of the folks there and they're they're great people they're they're really and since you've been there the first time they've put a bunch more stuff into it they've they've you know kind yeah. of they've made some adjustments and tweaks to it and it's it's great they've done a really nice job but unfortunately well, so is that there was like um when I was there there was there were um they put up put up these big like mural type things to so it kind of looked like you were in like a ski lodge or something. Yeah. So is there like a there was supposed to be a bar that was going in there. Is that there now? They were still I was there last um back in July and they uh -huh. were building it at that time. It was gonna be okay. a uh yard house, which I guess yard house, brewing. Yes. They were gonna yeah. have one of those up there, which would have been I mean, when that opens, that's gonna be fantastic where you can go sit up there and kind of watch people skiing and hang out because they want to do build like a real apre ski scene there when you're skiing there so that was underway so they were they're starting to make it real instead of the uh like the wild west facades they had before yeah yeah well cool yeah i'd like to i'll go back at some point um i'm in the city enough so 
Well, if you're around, happy to meet yeah. up with you and uh, take some runs there. Take some runs, yeah. All right, Gordy, so we got to wrap up. Where can folks get this book? Um, it's available everywhere that books are sold, but um, right now you can um, pre-order it on Amazon. Uh, my website, gordymegro.com, has a link. Um, and it's uh, there's a link on all my social media handles, so Twitter and Instagram, at Gordy Megro. Awesome. And again, this is, it's a beautiful book. I mean, it really is. It's, it's just the photography, the write-ups it's, it's also inspiring too, for people who, you know, this time of year, if you need a little more motivation to get, do a few more squats and get some exercise before ski season starts, <laughs> this is a, this is a beautiful thing. And actually one final question. Yeah. How come Whistler made it twice in the book? Well, Whistler and Blackcomb, they each had to get, you know, some love. <laughs> that's one I thing love I, know. Both, I love both those places oh yeah it's phenomenal <laughs> that makes perfect sense yeah <laughs> all right gordy thank you so much for your time i really do appreciate it all right thanks for having me and congrats on the book i appreciate it all right bye -bye. take care bye hope you guys enjoyed that if you want more information we have a link to his website and where you can get this book at skibonpodcast.com Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. We are on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, on tap at Podcast. Go to your favorite podcasting apps, rate, subscribe. We really appreciate it. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. I think I said that already. Send us cash. You can send us cash. You can cash. send us we Bitcoin. Got a Patreon. You know. We got all that on the website. So go check it out. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Stay high, stay fluid. See ya.